If you've ever made jello, it's really important to stir. And you got to keep stirring it, otherwise, it's going to get gooey on the bottom. And in your organization, even if you're an old organization and you want this new vibe, you've got to stir it and you've got to constantly, every day, go in and stir this idea. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here, you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Today on Inside Reproductive Health, I'm joined by someone who used to be the REI Division Education Director for OBGYN Residency Programs at Illinois Masonic Medical Center, Lutheran General Hospital, and St. Joseph's Hospital in Chicago. But you likely know her better as the CEO and Medical Director of Vios Fertility Institute. She is also the chairperson of the Midwest Reproductive Symposium International as the founder of MRSI and of Vios, one of the largest, fastest growing independent fertility centers in North America. I wanted to have Dr. Angeline Beltzos onto the show. Dr. Beltzos, Angie, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm thrilled to have you on this <laughs> show because you are really creating something really different, and I look to you as an example in the field very often. And I want to talk about the trajectory of Vios Fertility because I look at you and I look at a few others, and I think all of this talk about uh, what's happening to the independent fertility center, can they still grow their own vision? Can they still grow, period, with all of the consolidation and large fertility networks forming in the country? And you totally gone the the other way in the last four years and proven that it's possible. And so I want to just talk a, a little bit about, you know, what you owe that trajectory to. Well, thank you for that lovely introduction. And I'm so excited to, and actually very honored to be invited to speak with one of our thought leaders in the field, Griffin Jones. And I think that when you look at your life's opportunities, life is for living. So whatever you dream about, wherever you really want to be, where you want to land, what the heck, take the chance and go for it. You know, life sometimes offers you some obstacles and you may feel like that dream is so unattainable, but you know, you're going to miss a hundred percent of the shots you never take. And life is now. So enjoy your life. Dream what you want to be. And that's what we did with Bios. We had learned a lot. I was very blessed and honored to be the leader of uh, past organizations. And that gave me baptism with fire <laughs> and, uh, you know, an MBA uh, by virtue of experience leading an organization, the financials, the marketing. And with that exposure, I started Vios Fertility, and it's been nothing but crazy fun. So when you're talking about dreaming, 
Well, I, I sometimes call that role the visionary. And one of the biggest criticisms I have of a lot of practice structures now is that with the way my company's built, the way a lot of companies are built, is that there is a visionary at the top in bigger companies. There's an integrator, somebody that helps with operations. And then there's different people that own different seats. I think one of the biggest problems that I talk a lot on the show about is that in the independent practice structure, you've got the person that's supposed to be the visionary of the company, but they're in every other seat in the practice. I can't tell you how many clients that we've worked with that still write me paper checks because they don't have somebody else doing that part of the business or they're the ones tracking down the Facebook ads because they don't have or the, the Facebook ads manager permissions because they don't have somebody in that seat. And it takes so much to be in this seat, no matter what the business is. And then you're going to do 200, 250, 150, 300 retrievals, whatever that number is, and see however many patients in a year. It's daunting. And so I think you're one of the few people that really has this seat of undivisionary, but I also have to be a doctor. How do you balance those two? I think your question is extremely important. And we feel in an organization and in life, so many pulls in different directions. With a small organization, you may not have a C-suite. You may not have a whole list of people um, that are going to take care of taking you from paper charts to an electronic medical record, from paper money to making transactions online and having all of that very nimble and using technology. So I don't think you have to hire necessarily someone for every job inside the organization. And there are many ways that I think you can look at um, consultants or people that are part-time on your team that allow you to access the latest in technology, and you brought up financial pieces as well as EMRs. So I think, you know, at Vios, we were by, you know, purposefully and intentionally looking at getting a core group of people that can execute the job. And we're sort of building for speed, not just hanging one shingle you know, out of one office, one doctor kind of thing. We were really intentional about saying, if this is a network of great docs and great clinics, we have to be starting from the beginning, that framework built for that. So you you bring up something very important. You can't do everything yourself. But what can be easy to do is to say, here are some critical steps and important jobs that must be done some daily, some weekly, and some monthly. So some of that you unload on some of your actually talented people within your office. So in the beginning, we said, all right, we're a small group of people, we divide and conquer. And then the other piece is, again, not necessarily having to hire a full-time CFO in the beginning, but maybe outsourcing some of that so that the job gets done in a really great way but it's not on my shoulders to do all of that because God knows that's not possible. What's on your shoulders, the shoulders of any visionary, is to focus on the culture, on the key relationships with vendors, strategic partners, 
the biggest, not in your case, but in other cases, clients that you might have and to think about future value. And I want to talk about those first and third things with you, because I think you do that as well, if not better than anybody, which is culture and thinking about future value. You alluded a little bit to future value. We're building this from the beginning in a structure that can scale. You're doing that on the back of a very unique culture. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Bios Fertility, go to MRSI next year, Midwest Reproductive Symposium in Chicago in June, and take a look at the Bios team because a lot of them are there. And that is like, a, that's a culture. It reminds me of a college sports team in some ways. And I walk into a lot of fertility centers. I've been to dozens in my career and I don't see many cultures like that. And that's very intentional. How do you maintain something like that? And maybe even just talk about why it's important because Angie, I'm dubious that a lot of people understand how important it is. The importance of culture is as much as oxygen is to life. It's everything. It is what carries the team forward. And I learned from success. And in this case, I also learned from failure, where you can lose this very delicate and vital part of an organization. So we know that how people feel about their job when they wake up and knowing what they're doing and how it impacts someone else's life allows Vios to really push forward. Specifically, I think a culture is, and at Vios, a young culture is it starts at the head of the team and it trickles down. And simultaneously, you have the team that is on the forefront, the soldier, and it bubbles up. So there is this bi-directional flow of culture, and it impacts how we all work together. I allude to, you know, if you have a project in your organization and you're up and running, many people forget that they're not in a vacuum. So imagine you have a job to do today and we're going to roll out something new or, frankly, something old. You have some maybe five to ten basic um, subgroups. Uh, we have our team and we've got different players that do offense, defense, some are goalies. Just like a team, you've got some subgroups of what their job entails. Specifically for us, you've got a clinical team. You've got an admin team, a marketing, you've got financial. And in that, you also have these worker bees that like flow in between that. So I love blurry lines in some aspects. What's your job? The answer is whatever it takes. If you define the job too crisply, and too defined, then you get, Griffin, I don't do IUIs, I only do IVF. Wait, I only counsel on financials that have to do with saline sonograms and not HSGs. Yes, you need clarity, but you also need to have redundancy in your team, cross-train them, and also this attitude, this culture is like, Griffin, whatever you need, I am here for you. Can someone grab that garbage? Of course. Like, roll up our sleeves. We're all in this together. And my team teaches me that, intentionally say it. So that it's like a relay race in the Olympics. 
and this baton gets handed off from one person to the other. And that needs practice. And a lot of organizations forget that this isn't by accident, that you have crisp and clean flow. If you are watching any basketball game or hockey Stanley Cup games, they practice one thing again and again and again to make it incredible. And once you've been incredible, there's even more coaches and more people that teach you this one item in your job. I encourage people to check your egos at the door. However many initials are after your name, they become irrelevant. Teach each other how to flow and how this this job gets executed. So let's talk about a new patient visit. It impacts every bit of the organization. But if I went to the track on Saturday and I ran around the track and pretended to hand off this patient, this new patient, to Griffin Jones, and he takes the baton and he runs around and then he hands it off to the next person. And I did that by myself every Saturday. I bet I could run pretty fast and I might create endurance, but it did nothing for team building and execution. So you have to practice. How do I hand that patient off? How do I receive it? Where's my hand? And to get to an Olympic level, you have to practice those things. So I think um, my analogy is you have a new EMR. It impacts everyone in the organization, but you need to talk, not only teach that individual, but teach the team. My critique is that I think a lot of practice owners today are not putting that seat first and foremost of building that culture and that team. And they're more in the seat of, I've got to see 500 patients this year or however many, I've got to do however many egg retrievals. And then what's left of the business that is immediately taking up my time that's right in front of my face is what I have to deal with. How do I possibly zoom out and look at the big picture and invest in all of these other areas of the practice. And and I think that's backwards. I think that is part of why certain, certain companies are moving a lot faster than others. We saw at your conference in the month of June, uh, Gina Bartese speak at the CEO dinner that you hosted. And that's a person whose job is future value, culture, and building the company to race forward in one direction. Now, uh, all of these people are are in seats where they're supposed to be in that seat for their own practice, but they're too busy with the day-to-day. This is not a rhetorical question. Do you think it's too late for them? Do you want your IVF lab to be at capacity? Do you want one or more of your docs to be busier? Do you want to see more patients at your satellite office before you decide to close the doors on it? But private equity firms are buying up and opening large practice groups across the country and near you. Tech companies are reaching your patients first and selling your own patients back to you. And patients are coming in with more information from the internet and from social media than ever before, for good or for bad, and you need a plan. A fertility marketing system is not just buying some Google ads here or doing a couple of Facebook posts here. It's a diagnosis, a prognosis, and a proven treatment plan. Just getting price quotes for a website, for a video, or for SEO, that's like paying for ICSI or donor egg ad hoc without doing testing, without a protocol, and without any consideration of what else might be needed. The first step of building a fertility marketing system is the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's the cornerstone on what your entire strategy is built. You don't have to, but it is best to do that before you hire a new marketing person 
person before you put out an RFP or look for services before you get your house in order because by definition this is what gets your team in alignment. Fertility Bridge can help you with that. It is better to have a third party do this. We've done it for IVF centers from all over the world and we only serve businesses who serve the fertility field. It's such an easy way to try us out. It's such a measured way to get your practice leadership aligned and it's a proven process to begin your marketing system. Without it, Practices spend marketing dollars aimlessly and they stress their teams and they even lose patience and market share. Amidst these changes that are happening across our field and across society, if you're serious about growing or even maintaining your practice, sign up for the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's at fertilitybridge.com or linked here in the show notes. There is no downside to doing this for your practice, only upside. Now, back to Inside Reproductive Health. No, but I do think you bring up a really good point. So if you want to execute, what you have to do, and it's not that complicated, is find three things that you think your company needs. For us, we are built on three important pillars. Number one, an unparalleled customer experience. We can talk hours about that. What is the patient experience like? Obviously, to get pregnant immediately is is important. But while you do that, what does it look and feel like for the patient? Number two, early scientific adaptation. So we're early adapters, cutting edge technology, and innovation. We talk about innovation and being evidence-based because that's very important to follow standards and guidelines from your organizations like ASRM and ACOG, and simultaneously using innovation to push our field forward. Ironically, the word innovation has no evidence. So you have to understand how to fuse that ethically, properly, medically. And the third piece um, of this is a very robust and dynamic team. So we're talking about that third element here, the culture that you create. So how do you do that? And it has to be intentional. When you come to the Midwest meeting, for example, it is very important. People come for two reasons, to learn and to network. That's it. So you have to embed in your culture. For MRS, we do very targeted things to get people to loosen up, to feel vulnerable in front of other people, laugh with each other, and then you get this vibe at the meeting. In our VIOS team, what do you want to get out of it? For me, it is love. It is this idea of education, as Nelson Mandela said, the most powerful way to change the world is to educate. So what do I do to educate my team members about all the things that are important to us at Vios and these values? We want to have vision. We want to be innovative. Teamwork, man, one plus one equals three. Synergy, super powerful in an organization and be passionate about it. People are starving to be inspired. So what do you do if you want to build this into your organization is, well, plug it in, schedule it. You're not going to do stuff if it's not on your schedule. So sit down for an hour with your team and say, okay, education, we need to teach our nurses. We need to teach our team members something. So we do huddles, quick 10-minute meetings. You know, you don't want death by meeting, but you also have to plug it in, crisp, clean concepts of education. So we do that in our organization. We've adopted Lessonly, which is a really cool technology. 
to say, here's how we're going to do this IUI, for example. And then the lesson Lee will follow and everyone has to take this quiz online. So you're reinforcing the education. But if you have any kids in school, one of the big theories of education in 2019 is spiral learning. Spiral learning means you just keep coming back and it keeps coming into the organization. A lot of leaders forget that you can't just send a random email into the outer space and that everyone suddenly has learned what you said in that email. Here's how we're going to do something. Yes, that is just the preface of your book. Now you have to say it. You have to do it. You have to teach it. You have to come back to it. And they that spiral learning, the repetitiveness is critical to your culture and to getting people educated. I said love. What I mean by that is supporting each other. And what do you want to be when you grow up? You're 50. You're 55. You're 60. What do you want to be? What's next in your life? And supporting people to become the best person that they can be without sounding too corny about that. That's part of the culture that we create at Vios. Which you do because that's just who you are. I see that in a lot of different areas outside of just business. I've seen that in social events for charities that I'm involved with that I've invited you to that you come to because that's just in you. And so in your company, it's top down. In my company, I feel confident in saying it's top down because that's who I am. There might be others where that's just not the person at the top. They might realize that. Does the culture have to start from the person who's in that CEO seat or in the, I guess, at least in the founder seat, can it be hired? In other words, if there's somebody that's running the company and they know that that's not them, can they hire a chief human resources officer or is it not replicable? Yes and no. So the yes part is everyone will have their own signature, their own style, and their own way of portraying these core values. And that's really cool because you get the same thing, but in a little bit of a different flair. There's a famous quote that says, the fish smells from the head first. The head person must continue in their own way to embody this. Some people are shy. Some people may not always do the example in the same way, but they have to do it in their way. And they have to use the words that Griffin you are important to me, and I want to help you be amazing in your job. Everyone says that maybe in their own way, but that has to be part of the leadership and their behavior. Simultaneously, there are going to be people that are a little bit more dynamic about that, and that's really cool too. Whether you're outgoing and really fun and you do that, you still want other people to do it as well and and letting them push forward this culture. Because your your culture is young, I described our Vios as making jello. If you've ever made jello, it's really important to stir. And you got to keep stirring it, otherwise it's going to get gooey on the bottom. And in your organization, even if you're an old organization and you want this new vibe, you've got to stir it and you've got to constantly, every day, go in and stir this idea. And then once you put this jello in the refrigerator and it sets, that culture is set and habits are set, good and bad, 
the way people dress, the way people have their hair, what shoes they wear, all of this is malleable. But once you allow that to set, those bad habits or that bad culture can be very difficult to undo. So my point is that we have to be very intentional and stop the noise for a minute, put in your schedule from now until the next six months and the next 12 months, scheduled events and scheduled meetings, not only for key players in your organization, but with the whole organization so that you have opportunities that are blocked to quiet the noise and send this message forward. Because I think this is where a lot of people are running into the issues with millennial employees, even millennial patients. We talked about this with mm-hmm. your director of yeah. operations. Hannah was on the show uh, earlier in the season. Yeah, it was great. You did a great job. Thanks for having her. And you know, Vios is not really having an issue in the sense of hiring millennial employees, not to say that there are challenges, but you've got a lot of millennials that are really enthusiastic about working for you. And so do I. And the la- the takeaway from our show there for anyone that didn't listen to that episode is you can get a lot out of millennials. But while previous generations, I think, tolerated poor cultures, millennials just won't. And I don't expect any successing generations to either. And now that Gen Xers and baby boomers have tasted a little bit of that, I think they're more demanding of a, of a good culture as well. And it isn't just within your own organization. I just can't stress enough that it It touches everything you do. So in other words, we do have a client. We have a few, but I'm thinking of one particular client. It just has a a great culture that's so authentic to them. And my project manager said to me last week, she's just like, I just love working for them so much. I feel like I have to do a good job for them because they're so great. And I feel like I work for them. I want to see them succeed. And I thought, yes. That, that is the the core of of a good culture, and it's you know I certainly want my employees to think that of me and of our company, but I would also like to think that of our clients and the people that we work with, whether they're vendors or strategic partners or experts that we hire, they need to think that way also. Yes. So I want to wrap up with saying, you know, where do you see? this going for for those that are maybe on the fence because I do see a group Andy where I just I think we're speaking right now might as well be ancient Egyptian to them I think there are a few <laughs> that are already off to the races um and like yourself yeah. and uh and then there's probably some more and I don't know how to break up any of those percentages but there's probably a third group where they could go either way And how would you conclude in in talking to that group about culture where they know it's important somewhere inside of them, but have not really invested in it yet and probably won't unless they get a little bit of a fire written up under them? I think I have two things that resonate with me and your question. One of it is today's consumer. And, and employee. The consumer in this case is someone who is, and I know this is a flipping on its, on its head, is the employee, the young, vibrant employee. And that person also could be 
simultaneously the same kind of person as your patient. So Dan Nayat, uh, who's in Toronto, and I were talking, and he said, this is now the field of transparency. And I'm going to take that and say it's a culture of transparency. We live in a place today where there is so much more access to information because we live on a screen, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's Indeed, and you can rate your employer, your employees are being judged, but your employers are being judged, you know, with places like Yelp and Google that talk about what happens in people's offices, what staff member drew their blood. I mean, no one talked about that before. So this younger person is starting there. For some of us, we entrance ramped. It's like an entrance ramp. We fused into this, but there's a group of people that don't know anything else but this. And it doesn't really matter how old you are. Transparency today is something that is so completely mind-boggling different element to our, our fertility practices. There's nowhere to hide. Number two, and you better know that, right? So I think with even how you market yourself, social media, live Instagram, you're there front and center, whether you like it or not. So I think that's very different. And you got to understand it, it ain't going to change. So one way or the other, it's your kids, it's your spouse, it's your work and your play. Transparency involves technology and that technology will begin to infiltrate fairly rapidly. You'll see in the next year, this idea of artificial intelligence, look at, you know, you know where your Uber is, you know what time they're going to pick you up. The seamless transaction, you walk out the door of the car and you shut it and there's no cash, there's no credit cards, there's no signature, it's all seamless. I don't want to interrupt your thought, but you just hit on something that I wouldn't want to let you walk away with without commenting. So people know that this is happening. They can they can see the Ubers take over. They've seen how they said 20 years ago that they would never enter their credit card into a computer. And now they use it for everything at the press of a button at their phone to acquire just about any consumer purchase right. that they use. But they are very often, many people, not just in our field, are very often resistant to apply that to their own business as though we're somehow immune for it or as though it's not just a question of time. So they, they want to put it off for as long as possible, even though there is no putting it off. Well, Why do you suppose that it's is? It's coming. What will happen in the next year to three years, this technology, this infusion of that idea will enter, I believe, with a tomorrow tank, a robotic artificial intelligence place to keep our cells safe as a consumer of that, be able, like on your phone, to see what temperature that embryo is at, whether it's on a vertical position, positioning and that it's safe, just like you do with your kids that are um, sharing you know, their location. This idea of transparency is going to infuse into our business and and the customer will demand it and so will standards. Uh, the other thing is that when you hire people and understanding this difference between loyalty and giving people wings, you know, that there's a little bit of insecurity of trying to keep people contained 
And I would argue that you need to give people uh, in the organization your your trust. Not to say you don't micromanage because micromanagement can be a little over the top and yet get out of their way and let them do an amazing job and allow loyalty to supersede insecurities about trying to tie people into um, a certain position. So I think where we look at the culture, relationship building with strategic partners like you, and being thoughtful about your future, whatever that is, future valuation is always good to know that you're a valuable player in the marketplace, even if you stay as you are. Very well said, Dr. Angeline Beltzos, a good friend of mine and somebody that I look to, for example, in the field, founder of Vios Fertility. Thank you Thank for coming you. on Inside Reproductive Health. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.